0: Well, a couple of announcements I'd like to uh, bring to our attention as we get started here this morning. First off, on the Welcome Center, we now have a new piece of uh, paper for you. This is our FBC Weekly, the printed edition. So if you get our emails, it has uh, the announcements and it has prayer request uh, tab that you can click on to get the prayer sheet. And so we've put uh, those two things together on one document. If you would like our prayer sheet, here it is. If you would like the announcements... Here they are, all on one sheet, making it nice and handy for you. So that is going to be a weekly thing that will be on the Welcome Center back there for you. So every Sunday you can pick up the latest edition and get all of the announcements, info, and prayer uh, needs all at the same time. So grab that off of the Welcome Center. We'd encourage you. Uh, A couple of things coming up here in the next few uh, days. Uh, This coming Saturday is the funeral for Barb Maxwell, August the 21st. Visitation will be at 10 o'clock here at the church, followed by uh, the service at 11. Uh, the next day is Sunday, the 22nd. Those that are uh, Sunday school teachers within our K-12, through 12, uh, our children and student ministry uh, programs, if you are a teacher, helper, anything of the sort, this includes uh, second hour or junior church uh, helpers and leaders, we're going to have a meeting uh, upstairs in room 207, also known now as the Lifeway Classroom, known also as the old library, and downstairs is the old, old library. You with me? (laughs) So if you're here long enough, downstairs had that old library, that's now the old, old library because we have a new old library. So if you can track with that, then you'll know exactly where to go. Go up the steps, turn right, and there you are. Uh, So that's where the Sunday school meeting is going to take place next Sunday after the service. And then uh, that following Wednesday at 6.15, the 25th of August. If you are a a helper in Iwana or would like to join in and be a helper or a verse listener or just be involved in some way, shape, or form in our Wana program, we would encourage you to come uh, to that meeting. It's uh, generally accompanied by ice cream. I can't verify that for certainty. I'm just going based on my memory from the last seven years that we've done this. There's been ice cream. Uh, but uh, that meeting, 6:15 on the 25th, that is a Wednesday evening, that will be downstairs in the fellowship hall. Other than that, there are some various uh, sign-up sheets for you to take note of on the Welcome Center. Uh, again, we are so excited that you are here. Um, Pastor Mark is going to come and uh, lead us in our call to worship. As I trip over your stool that you've had there for, what, a year? And I should know this by now.
1: Would you stand with me as we prepare our heart to worship Our call to worship comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. By, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? Uh, Debbie uh, spent six months this uh, this year, from January to June, uh, in the, the continent of Africa, in uh, several different countries. And uh, you may remember us uh, talking about that way back uh, way back when. And uh, how God provided for her, and and uh, financially, and prayerfully, and so we asked her just to come give a, a very brief kind of just uh, word. Uh, at a later time, she'll get to do kind of a report on the trip and what she did and all those sorts of things. But I just asked her if she'd come to share uh, maybe something that God did or a way that she saw saw God move, and then we'll we'll pray together for her after that. So, Debbie, would you share a little bit?
2: Uh, First of all, I would like to reiterate what Pastor Mark said, and um, just thank you all for your prayers and your support Um, for my trip. It was definitely um, prayers that I felt while I was over there, Um, just for safety and for health. Uh, No one on our team got COVID the whole six months that we were there, um, which was really, truly a miracle. Um, Cases over there were high and at different points, and it was just... um, Definitely feeling the spirit moving, and your prayers were felt, so thank you for your prayers and your support in sending me. Um, It was felt. Um, I have many stories I could share, um, but I really wanted to focus on one and just share a little bit about what God did while we, as a team, we were in Reetbron. Reetbron is a very, very small town um, in the Karoo in South Africa, Um, and Reetbron is so small that it has only a population of 120 people. Um... There's no gas station. There's no grocery store. Um, they like plan their trip to the big city, the big city, um, to get gas and groceries, either once every two weeks or once a month, um, depending on how much they have to drive and things like that. Um, but the population is predominantly farmers. Um, they raise and shear um, Angora goats, um, which produce mohair. It's really um, nice fiber. Um, and so these these people have a small town, and then like lots of land um, where they raise their goats and sheep and different cattle. Um, and we we came to Reap Braun and we set up a coffee shop in their little town museum. And the goal was to sell really very affordable coffee, and um, to to spend time with the people, to have it be a place where people could come and feel welcome, and kind of bridge gaps. Um, There's also, very close to the town, there is a um, colored population, colored people sounds like a racial slur here, but it's actually a people group in South Africa, Um, a minority people group. And so just to bridge, bridge gaps between these farmers and and people in the colored community. Um, And we named the cafe Jacob's Well um, from John 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well, and, um, makes her feel, um, that she belongs and cares for her, even though she's a Samaritan woman, and, um, we, we had that goal in mind, um, but the interesting thing about Reetbron is that Reetbron has been in a drought for the last four years. Um, a good year in the, in the drought of rain is six inches of rain for the whole year, um, that's not a lot of rain. <laughs> and so they, they've been desperately praying for rain, and not just in church. These people um, look to God daily, and they pray openly and fervently for rain. And it was um, really, it taught me a lot about dependency on God, um, just because I've never lived in circumstances like that. Even in hard times in my life, I have had many resources, many friends, many family who could help me. And um, not that I don't trust in the Lord, but really just to be in that place where your way of life and your survival literally depends on something that is outside of your control. And it's whether God sends rain or not can can make or break um, things. And so um, one of the days that we were serving in the cafe, there was an unexpected surprise. Um, a a big delivery, I guess, a donation um, of maize was brought to Reap Brown from a neighboring church, and they dumped 103 um, tons of maize down the middle of Main Street. <laughs> and um, farmers came and gathered, and Quibis, who was the pastor that our team stayed with, um, prayed over the maize, and he spoke out of the word um, in Afrikaans, so I had to get the translation (laughs) later. Um, But he prayed, and then the whole community, everyone, not even just men, but women and and, um, children, came with big 10-gallon buckets, and five-gallon buckets or whatever, and they scooped all this grain, and they bagged it, and there were rows and rows and rows of bags of maize, and it was feed for their cattle. And it was really just amazing to see because um, I know that these people pray long and hard for rain and um, I believe that God will answer those prayers in his time, Um, but it was amazing to see God fulfill an immediate need. Um, Rain is definitely something they need long term, um, but to be able to provide a way to, to help these farmers in the short term with this grain was really helpful. Um, And to see the community come together, um, it didn't matter what race, um, what church they went to. um, They all came together and they helped. And it wasn't just, I'll work on the bags that I'm going to take home. It was, we all work together, we get all this, this grain bagged. And then it was loading into different trucks and delivering it to different places. I know that there were farmers that took took bags to places that weren't their own farms to deliver them. So just to see the community work together in praise and thanks to the Lord, and we got the opportunity to take coffee out to them. We didn't even charge. We just were, like, so happy. It was such a a blessed day just of seeing God's provision that we were just happy to, to serve in and join in their um, efforts where it was appropriate. Some of our guys ended up helping scoop and bag the grain as well. And so it was just a really good day to see how the Lord was providing. Um, so really just kinda a good experience in Reap Brown. One story of how God really provided. He looked at what the situation was and he provided a need that was unexpected and how the people came together in thanks and and lifting each other up. So. Uh, I know I was definitely challenged staying in Reet Braun um, to, to really look for ways that I can pray and trust in the Lord, um, to want to actually be dependent on the Lord. These people didn't have very much. Um, they, they were a poor community, but they gave out of their abundance. They were s- the most hospitable people we came across in South Africa. Um, they fed us, and they continually sent meals to Quibus and Nana, where we stayed, and um, they were so joyful, even though they didn't have much, and it was just um, a good reminder that being dependent on God, and being in a spot where you need him, is actually a great place to be, um, because it teaches you so much, and you you don't rely on yourself, you rely on the Lord, so um, it was definitely a teaching moment for me. So thank you very again for, for your support and prayers in sending me. And I can't wait to tell you even more stories about how God worked in South Africa. Yeah.
1: Would you pray with me? Just giving thanks. Father, we are thankful for what you have done uh, through the, the efforts of, of Debbie and the rest of the team and how they uh, ministered in these places that... Uh, most of us have never heard of, or probably will never go. Uh, thank you for these uh, believers who are uh, seem to be growing in their faith, even in spite of, or, or maybe, uh, as James tells us, but even because of uh, their adversity. And so, God, we uh, we thank you for the witness that they have been. We're thankful for uh, how you have blessed and. And we pray that uh, those lessons learned that, that uh, Debbie had for these six months would, would not go uh, unnoticed for uh, the rest of her life, that you would use this in her life and, and the people around her, and you would direct her steps and uh, cause her to, uh, to truly, truly be dependent upon you every, every day. We do pray for her, her next steps and what you would have for her and pray for direction in her life. And we do pray that, as the scriptures tell us, to trust you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge you, and you will direct our paths. We pray that that'll be true, not only for Debbie, but for all of us as well. And we give thanks, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 8. If you have a, need a pew Bible today, you can turn to page 843. Eight hundred and forty-three. If you need a Bible, you can feel free to take that Bible in the pew. That can be yours if you don't have one or you need one. Uh, please, uh, please take that. Mark chapter 8, you're going there. But uh, while you're going there, listen to the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, Jesus is rejected. Uh, He is resisted. He is misunderstood because people lack spiritual understanding. They they lack understanding of of who this Jesus actually is. It's fair to say uh, that we are in desperate need of spiritual understanding today. We live in a time where there is, uh, seems like less and less spiritual understanding uh, in the world. Uh, we need ears uh, to hear. We need eyes to see. We need hearts to understand who God is and what his word says. Now, this spiritual understanding uh, comes from, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us, from the Spirit of God in us. So with the Spirit, or without the Spirit, there is no understanding, right? We must have the Spirit in order to have spiritual understanding. Uh, God gives to us the understanding that we need. In our passage this morning, we will see Jesus' identity being on display. We will see uh, the religious leaders rejecting Jesus. And then we'll see the disciples misunderstanding Jesus once again. If you've got your Bible... Follow along with me, chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, uh, we'll read the first three verses. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he uh, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them... Have come from far away. Uh, Verse 1 there says, In those days. Uh, In those days is referring to or indicating uh, that this took place at the same time as the previous story, back in chapter 7. Now, sometimes we would assume that the the story is just clipping right along, uh, but there are times when there might be some gaps between the stories. But uh, in those days, he's referring to the time when he was in the Decapolis, the the area of 10 uh, cities that were Gentile territory. We saw that back in chapter 7. So he he is in the same area, and and apparently and and unsurprisingly, uh, the reputation of Jesus had spread right, spread so much that, that there is yet another crowd that had gathered to him, uh, that had been with him, the, the text tells us, for three days. Now, some of you get uh, antsy after 12 o'clock. This, this group had been with Jesus for three days, so I don't want to hear it, right? So, but, but, but at this point, I know Jesus, I get it, I get it, right? <laughs> True. At this point, though, they were hungry, right? You, 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 again, you get hungry at 12 o'clock, these people three days, uh, and I get hungry at 12 o'clock, right? These people have been there three days, they're hungry. They're so in need of food, actually, that Jesus is concerned that if they actually try to make it back home, they're going to faint. Not, I don't have that concern for you. But that he had them, uh, that for them, right? So much so that he wants to provide a meal for them, right? What, what can we do? We're going to feed them. Uh, Jesus explains the situation to the disciples and expresses his compassion on the people. Now, last, uh, last week, when we looked at chapter 7, we, we identified that Jesus had compassion uh, on the man who was deaf. But, but back in chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, we see that, that also. That Jesus looked at the people, and they were like, a, a, like sheep without a shepherd, right? And he had compassion on them. Well, here again, he sees another crowd of people who who are in need. And yet again, he has this, this word compassion comes up. The reality uh, for many or most of the people that, that followed Jesus around throughout his ministry, uh, they were not actually there for him, right? They were there for what they could get from him. That's what we end up seeing. And the reason we know that is because at the end, everyone deserts him, right? When we read the whole story, uh, at the end that there's very few people hanging out with Jesus at the crucifixion right? And, and, and the rest. So, so the point is, is that they're there for themselves. Uh, generally speaking, this, this would be true. Yet even still, even, Jesus knew that. Jesus wasn't blindsided by people who were just trying to get what he had. Even still, even still he showed compassion on them. Even still, he saw their need and he wanted to meet it. Jesus had a heart for hurting people, not just the people who would love him in return, not just for the people who would follow him, right? Which is notable because many of us live in a culture or have been raised in a culture that tells us that I'll love you until you stop loving me. And when you stop loving me, I'll stop loving you. And if you care for me, I'll care for you. Or because you cared for me, then I'll care for you. But here we see Jesus, these people doing nothing in return, nothing to merit any, any sort of compassion, and yet Jesus is looking upon them with compassion. In fact, Jesus calls us to love not just uh, one another, not just other Christians. We are to love one another, but not just one another. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to love our neighbor. He tells us to bless those who even curse us. So this, this compassion of Jesus is notable and exemplary, but it's met with doubts from the disciples. Look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, if, if you're, you know, again, reading the, the whole story of Jesus, and you've been uh, following along with us. We, we know back in chapter 6, he fed 5,000, which was actually more like 15 or more thousand, because that was just the men, the 5,000. And so you might say, well, man, if he fed 5,000 just two chapters ago, what are they saying? Uh, how, how can one feed these, these people with bread here in the desolate place? So the, the, the question is not so much a doubt about Jesus' ability, it's a question about how can we do this here? We are in the middle of the wilderness. This is an uninhabited place. Where and how could we ever do such a thing? Or how could anyone do uh, such a thing? Uh, And yet, even giving the benefit of the doubt on a question like that, we still want to say, like, the disciples just didn't seem to get it, did they? They just seemed to be slow of understanding what Jesus was up to. And here in verse 5, Jesus responds in a similar fashion as he did in chapter 6 when he asked, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. Verse 6, he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. Now, as we are walking through Mark's gospel, we see the unfolding story of Jesus, uh, his ministry, and as we're tracking his his activities and his works, we're we're seeing this this story unfolding. Now, there's some critics of the Bible, you probably know that, and there are some who think that this story is the same story as in chapter 6. They think that this is a duplicated uh, event, that the the story is being repeated. Now, I don't want to spend much time with this because it's it's, uh, easily disproven, uh, as there are clearly two separate events. Uh, There are many counterpoints as to location, to audience, to the numbers themselves. But the best way to, to know if they're the same story is to actually you know, read them. Uh, if, you, if you read these two stories, then you would know that they're, they're actually different. <clears throat> but, but one point I would just direct your attention to, and it, we'll get back to this first, but if you just run down to verse uh, 19, and we'll come back to verse 19 again, but Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, when I broke the five loaves uh, for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said 12. And, and, and seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. So what's the point? The point is yeah, they're, they're two separate stories because Jesus said so, right? Jesus said they're two separate stories. So let's not be confused. They are two separate stories. Now let's keep going in verse, verse 7. And so he takes those seven loaves, verse 6, I'm sorry. He takes the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and, he, and having blessed them, he set them also. All, uh, he said these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. Uh, Jesus gave thanks for the bread, and he blessed the fish. Again, as we saw in chapter six, Jesus is, is praying, right? Jesus is blessing this food. He's, he's looking to God to do what um, only God can do through him, and that is to uh, bless and multiply. So the, the verse tells us that he broke the bread, or we could say he kept on breaking the bread. Like it was a continuous action. The bread kept multiplying. The seven loaves we see and a few fish and there were 4,000 people that were fed with leftovers. Look at verse eight. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. Now in the previous feeding in chapter six, there were 12 baskets left over. And here we see that there are seven. What do we learn? Well, we learn first that God, provided much more than they even needed. That's a good lesson for us. That's a good example for us that God provides, and sometimes he provides even more than we need. Some people uh, get really into numerology in the Bible, and they want to find a reason for every number and trace all the numbers through, through the Bible. And the danger with that is that you can really miss out on the actual intent of the Bible, of the story, because we're chasing numbers all over the place. Uh, God does math, but the the Bible is not firstly a a math book, right? So let's be careful. But, But here we have 12 and seven, and there is some significance, right? The first feeding is 12. There's 12 disciples, right? 12 apostles. We, we can see the, the correlation there. In seven, in the Bible, the number seven, most of us may know this, is the number of perfection or completion or, or, or fullness. So here Jesus is, is revealing something about himself. This one who could, who could fully deliver. This one who could bring this to completion. This one who could provide more than enough. Who was that? His identity is on display here. That's what's happening. He's revealing his identity. And here um, he he shows that that he in fact is God. God, only God could do something like this, Uh, which should have then pointed the 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 uh, participants, the people, the disciples, to another place in the scriptures. Right? What else did God provide bread? What else was was bread uh, brought to the people? Uh, to the people, right? The Old Testament, Moses. Back in Exodus chapter uh, 16, we we see God doing that with the manna of provision for the people of God at that time. Where were they at when he did that? In the wilderness, right? And again, here in the wilderness, in the desolate place, God is providing, once again, the similarities are uh, intentional, we could say. As God provided for the people in the book of Exodus, here in chapter 8, God's provision even extends to these people here, specifically, as we understand this story, Gentiles, which was kind of a big deal because uh, Jesus had been working exclusively with the Jews, and so now he is caring for the Gentiles. This is a demonstration uh, that that the kingdom of God, that the ministry of Jesus was extending further, uh, further from, from the Jews back in chapter six when he fed the crowd there to now the Gentiles here in chapter eight with this crowd. Mark is pointing, uh, pointing out, Mark's point is to show that Jesus was the universal bread of life. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When tempted by the devil, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Jesus doing? He's using this, this bread illustration. He's, he's using this idea of bread to, to point to himself that the, he, in fact, is the bread of life, that he is the one through whom you can have life eternal. Jesus did not perform a miracle for, for kicks and for giggles. He's doing it for purpose and for reason. Right? He's up to something here. So having fed the crowd, he sent them away. The rest of verse nine tells us that. And then he left also, look at verse 10. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and they went to the district of Demathutha. Demathutha, something like that. Uh, back across the sea, right? He went back across the sea, that's the point. Westward towards Galilee, south of Capernaum. Uh, this, uh, this was a, a, a place... Um, also referred to as some of your, you got a footnote there, Magdala, uh, which uh, some suggest that Ma- Mary Magdalene, that's where Ma- Mary Magdalene was from. Uh, but once, once again here, we see Jesus uh, going across the sea. And then as he lands there, we find that he has another meeting. He gets another visit, another visit from who other than the Pharisees. Now, uh, one commentator noted that the parallels between chapter six and seven in chapter eight here, Uh, We see a feeding of a large group of people. Then we see a boat ride across the sea. Then we see a confrontation with the Pharisees. And then fourthly, we see a conversation about bread. But first, the Pharisees. Look at verse 11. And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, again, we've seen enough of the Pharisees and learned enough of the Pharisees that they're not coming in good faith, right? They're not here to actually learn. They're not actually here for actually a sign in order to believe. Their their request or their demand was not done in faith. It was done in order to uh, tempt Jesus. They came with an agenda, and they argued with him. Uh, the, the arguing with him is is uh, indicates that this was a continual debate. It wasn't just a, 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 a give me a sign. No, it was an argument, and the argue with him indicates that Jesus wasn't passive here. That Jesus participated. That Jesus uh, spoke back to them, and there was a dialogue between them. But they were seeking, it says, uh, a sign uh, from heaven or a miracle from heaven in order to test him. Right? They wanted a heavenly sign, not an earthly sign. You could, we could say, well, wasn't weren't there other signs? Did Jesus? just do something? How, how would they not see that as a sign? No, they wanted a, a heavenly sign, a miraculous sign, something in, in the sky as proof of his credentials. Prove that you're who you say you are. Prove that you're actually the son of God. But again, their motive was not to, to learn. It was not to believe. It was to tempt him. It was to test him. It was to trap him. Jesus had been down this road before. Back in Matthew chapter four, we see the temptation of Jesus in where the wilderness. And what did Jesus say to Satan in chapter seven? It is written, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." Now there's a real difference, we should note, between demanding a sign from God, or for Jesus, and asking a genuine question in order to understand. There's a difference between testing God in unbelief and asking in faith. Ward Wearsby writes it this way. Their desire, talking about the Pharisees, for a sign from heaven was another evidence of their unbelief. For faith does not ask for signs. He continues, true faith takes God at his word and is satisfied with the inward witness of the Spirit. Now, this is an important point for all of us. True faith accepts God's word. As God's word. <laughs> That's God's word. I, we, we don't actually need the, the writing of the clouds. You, you don't need another sign. God has given to you and to me his word. True faith doesn't say, yeah, yeah, I know about the Bible, but, but, but I, 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 want, I want something more. I know about the message, but, but I want something else. I want some other external, personal evidence. No, God has spoken. God has spoken. I heard a preacher say one time, if you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud, right? That, that's how God speaks to you. That's how God is, is at work in you, right? So the, the word of God and the spirit of God indwelling you, there's nothing more that is needed. And here in these Pharisees, it's not good enough, it's not good enough what they've seen. It's not good enough what they've, they've the word that they, they already had received. They wanted more. But Jesus would not take part in the game. Look at verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Uh, Jesus sighed or he, he groaned. We saw him sigh back in chapter 7 as well. He, here, what we're noting is that Jesus is, is grieved. He's grieved by their attitude, uh, by their unbelief. That's a right response when we see sin. And when we see an attitude of rejection of God and his word is to be grieved. Uh, Paul, in chapter 9 of the book of Romans, says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He was specifically talking about those fellow Jews who who wouldn't believe on Jesus. Those who were committed to their unbelief. J.C. Ryle writes, grief over the sins of others is one leading evidence of true grace. So the question comes is, are, are we broken by sin? Are we grieved by sin? We should say firstly our own, and then certainly the, the sin that we see in the world. Does that bother us? Does it grieve us? Our lack of brokenness may well reveal our disconnect from the gravity of sin. We ought to pray a prayer like this. May God break our heart for what breaks his. While Jesus had enough of the Pharisees, the rest of that verse says, Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. No sign for you. You, you, you're demanding it, you, you've, you've seen enough, and yet here you are rejecting it. Now, Matthew's account, Jesus says it this way. It's quote, Jesus is quoted as saying this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Joda? The sign of Joda is the resurrection of Jesus. Right? If you kept reading again in Matthew, uh, in Matthew, I should say you back up to Matthew chapter 12, he talks about this sign as well. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is saying the only sign you're going to get, the only other sign you're going to get is Jesus, is, is my resurrection. That's the sign of Jonah. The truth is Jesus had shown them uh, had already showed them who he was. Right? He, they, they had seen They had seen the healings. They had seen the miracles of, of the feeding. His actions were self-evident that he was the Messiah. Yet they would not believe. They would not believe on him. They had already made their decision, and no other side on this earth would persuade them. They had already made up their minds. Well, having responded. Had seen their unbelief, Jesus then left them. Verse thirteen, and he left them, got in the boat, and went to the other side. Now he's back across the sea again. Uh, Jesus' departure says says one commentary is is but a, but a sign of judgment here, right? Um, can, can you imagine it? Jesus interacts with them, and in a in a statement of uh, it's over, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm leaving. That the, the sides are, are done. You get no more sides. Um, this is a word of caution for us. Um, Kent Hughes, uh, a, a theologian, says this. There, there comes a time when Jesus gives no more signs and no more help and understanding. We, we ought to be aware of that. There are some who, who want to push off the questions about Jesus, uh, the questions about repentance and judgments and eternity. I don't have time for that now. Maybe later. Maybe I'll worry about that when I'm older. Maybe I'll worry about that when I'm, you fill in the blank. There comes a time when there will be no more signs and there will be no more help in understanding. Be aware. Well, from here, Jesus then turns his attention back to his disciples. Uh, It's one thing, it's important for us to remember that as Jesus is doing all this, the disciples are right there. Right? They're, they're, they're watching this, they're listening to this, um, and Jesus is intentional with everything he did. He's going to use this experience to speak to his disciples. Sadly, though, as we have already learned, they are slow to get it. Look at verse 14. And when they, uh, now they had forgotten, so they're back in the boat, verse 14. Now they have forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now, <clears throat> just a kind of a logical thing here. We, we have seven baskets full of leftovers, right? And the, 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 there's a difference between the word baskets in chapter eight and in chapter six. In chapter eight, the word is like a hamper. It's the same word that they use for, um, in the book of Acts, when Paul is being let out of the window in the basket. And so they had a, a hamper, seven hampers, big enough for a, a human to get inside, right? And they only grabbed one loaf. This is just bad planning, right? I don't, I don't know what else to say. Verse 15, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> here, here Jesus is giving them this serious and sober warning. And all they're thinking about, is they only have one loaf of bread, right? Maybe you've experienced this. When you're hungry, like your mind, you can't think about anything else but food. Maybe you've been there. And maybe in, in grace, that's what's happening here with uh, these disciples. But, but clearly, the point, the message of Jesus goes right over their head. That they didn't take Jesus, or they did take Jesus literally, right? They took Jesus to mean to, to, uh, to literal leaven. And so they, they think he's still talking about the physical bread. And so they're still stuck on the physical bread. And yet Jesus was speaking clearly, metaphorically. Leaven, uh, we know, is as, um, let me just quote it. Ward Wearsby writes it this way. Uh, leaven, though the small and hidden, spreads and soon infects the whole. That's what leaven does. And in the Bible, leaven is, is used as an illustration of evil. And so, so the, the idea of, of being aware of, of leaven of, of the Pharisees or of Herod is be watching out for, for evil. Watch out for that, that which is small and hidden that could soon infect the whole, that could spread. Well, the Bible, when it talks about leaven, there are a few things that it specifically talks about as leaven or uses in that illustration. What is false teaching? One is unjudged sin in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and another is hypocrisy, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. All of these are, are examples of leaven. But when Jesus talks about leaven here, Matthew chapter 16, verse 12, makes it more clear that what Jesus is talking about, the leaven of the Pharisees, is he's talking about their teaching, the teaching of the Pharisees, meaning the false teaching of the Pharisees, be aware of what? The false teaching of the Pharisees. False teaching. This is a real warning, then and now. Uh, it's been said that the, the dangers or the threats to the church outside are not nearly as great as the threats to the church on the inside. Now, some of us look outside at what's happening in our, specifically in our country and some alarm bells are going off for us. There's some legislation that, that is being proposed that could have serious consequence to religious organizations and to churches. We're not saying there aren't any threats from the outside, but what we're saying is the greater threat is from what is within. So those, those, just those three examples uh, that the scriptures explicitly give of false teaching, of hypocrisy, and of sin going unjudged in the church are very real dangers. They're real dangers from within, and we must be on guard to spot the leaven. Now, it may seem like judgmentalism. We're we're picking out sins. We're being hard on people. But really, what it is about is it's about spiritual understanding. It's about faithfulness to God. It's about keeping the unity and the purity of the church. Not our standard, not the pastor's standard. No, 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 the scriptural standard. We're not arbitrarily choosing what sins that, that we should judge or we should address. The scriptures call us to it. You've heard this verse before, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's true. That's true. That's true in, in, in reality with yeast, in, in, in leaven, but it's also true in regard to how evil is pervasive. Whatever the leaven is. It leavens the whole love. We, there, there are three examples, but we could pick anything, right? Pride, or greed, or gossip, or anger, or go down the list. Any of those, any of those evil actions can what? Spread and infect the whole, infest the whole. I heard this quote recently. It says this, we become what we tolerate, If you just sit on that for a minute, that is scary. <laughs> that's true individually. Like in your life, you become what you tolerate. It's true as a church. It's true as a, as, a, as a country. It's true as a civilization. We become what we tolerate. And if that's true, then we must be on guard. Well, speaking of false doctrine or false teaching, J.C. Rye Awards, once that false doctrine is admitted into our hearts, we never know how far it may lead us astray. Now, maybe you have examples of this in your own life where either you or someone you know has admitted false teaching into their life It has led them astray. I can tell you on a personal level, currently, I, ha- I have a, a situation like that in my life. It's not from this church, but it is an individual who has accepted false teaching, and the the, the direction to which that is leading him astray is profound, and you don't know where it ends. That's the scary part. You don't know how far it will, will go. You don't know that. And quite frankly, at that point, it becomes out of your control, save for the Spirit of God. Well, the disciples just missed it here, right? They just missed the point of what Jesus was doing. And Jesus wasn't real happy about it. You could tell he's kind of fed up. Uh, the, the Pharisees rejected him, that's one thing, okay? You might expect them to reject you. But your own followers who are with you all the time, who have seen it all, maybe their familiarity really did breed contempt here and they overlooked the obvious reality of who Jesus was. Nevertheless, clearly they don't understand clearly they're not getting what Jesus is saying. I talked to you about Kent Hughes. He, he gives this illustration of, of a man who went to the bank and he went in to talk to a bank teller and he says he wants to, to cash this check and he wants the money for the check. And the teller says to him, uh, you have to sign the check in order to get the money. He says, I'm not gonna sign the check. She's like, no, no, in order to get the money, you have to sign the check. I'm not gonna sign the check. She's like, well, you're not gonna get the money then. He said, well, I'm gonna go across the street to the other bank and I'm gonna get the money. She's like, knock yourself out. So he goes over to the other bank and he says to the teller, I want, I want to cash this check. And they said, well, you have to sign the back of the, the check. He says, I'm not gonna sign it. He says, no, you have to sign it in order to get the money. I'm not gonna sign it. The teller proceeded to take the man's head and bang it on the counter three times. <laughs> he signed the check and he got the money. He went back across the street and said to the bank teller, see, I got the money. And the bank teller said, well, how did you get the money? And they said, and he said to the teller, they explained it to me. <laughs> in the next few verses, Jesus is metaphorically, metaphorically, taking the collective heads of the disciples and banging it on the counter, right? Listen to what Jesus says in starting in verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, aware that they are fixated on the bread, right? That's what that's what the, the awareness is, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you, yet, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. Jesus is basically saying to them, do you not get it? Are you not paying attention? Do you not see what I'm doing here? The late R.C. Sproul, a theologian, once said to to a group of people, what's wrong with you people? When they were clearly missing the points. And you hear Jesus could be saying that to them, what is wrong with you? Why do you not see this? How are you missing this? And maybe he says that to you and me. Can you imagine that there are times when Jesus looks at us and says, what's wrong with you? Do you not have ears to hear? Are you not paying attention to what is right in front of you? Disciples, I'm in the boat with you. I just multiplied the bread. What are you worried about that piece for? I'm telling you something deeper and you're not even getting it. They missed it and we miss it. There's a danger in forgetting. There's a danger in being so familiar, hearing it so much that we forget. Psalm chapter 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. If we want to guard against forgetting, we need to remember. We need to remind ourselves of the truth. One of the reasons we gather is to stir one another up for good works, is to remember the scriptures, to be told again the good news. Jesus' final question in verse 21 Maybe less of a, a criticism and more of an appeal when he says again, Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet see who I am? Do you not recognize that I'm the bread of life for the world? Sent from heaven? Do you not get it yet? In Matthew's gospel, he writes this at the end, and then they understood that he did not tell that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Seems that they may have started to get it. But here in Mark, he ends with a question. He ends with that question Do you not yet understand? And that question comes to me and you. Do you not yet understand? Do you get it? Do you understand who he is? Do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? Is your heart hardened? Will you remember what God has done? Danny Akin writes, what we have seen our Lord do in the past should help us in the present. Right? What God has done in the past. And we live on this side of, of the cross. Right? We live on this side of the cross where we can look back and the work of Jesus is historical to us. We can see it all. We are without excuse to see who Jesus was. Not only the prophecies of Jesus, the fulfillment of Jesus the fulfillment of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. We see that all on this side of the cross. We have a greater view than these disciples even had in that sense. We can know that Jesus, in fact, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The one who went to the cross in order to make peace. The one who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the Jesus of Mark chapter eight. That's the Jesus of today. That's the Jesus who we must see. We must have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you can't do that on your own. God has to give you those eyes. Ephesians two tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God does that work. We need him to do that work. And may he give us eyes to see in ears to hear and hearts to believe. That's our prayer. It's our prayer today. If you've never come to Christ, the invitation is to come to him today. To see him as this one who provides bread. Living Bread bread for, for eternity, if you're someone who has already come to that. And yet, man, maybe there are days when, when you're missing it. Maybe you're like these disciples. Or maybe you're like the, the man in the Gospels who says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. The man who, who stumbles around a little bit. The man who, who might know the truth, but yet doesn't always live it out. Maybe that's you this week. Maybe you can pray today that God would give you eyes to see who Jesus really is. And if you believe who Jesus really is, what does that change? That's the question, isn't it? Not just your eternity. But what does that change now? What if this Jesus who fed the 5,000 is the Jesus who saved your soul? How does that change you? May God help us. Father, we do pray that you would change us that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give our hearts faith to believe. God, we are guilty, truly. We are guilty of not seeing clearly. We are guilty of, of missing the point. We are guilty of reading your word and going away as though we've heard nothing. We're guilty of looking in the mirror and walking away as, and forgetting what we have even seen. So God, guard us from that even today. Guard us from leaving here and forgetting what you have said, what your word has said, what your spirit has said to our hearts. Would you this day, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And we'll give thanks in Jesus' name.
2: Amen.